The theme for Easter this year, our theme, is very simply the word risen. Because over 2,000 years ago, Jesus arose on this day, and there is so much that is attached to this historical and supernatural event. The ramifications of Jesus' resurrection is monumental for every human being who ever walked this planet or ever will walk this planet, but more specifically to you personally. And my hope is that by the time you leave here today, you'll have a better understanding of what Jesus' resurrection means to you personally. You see, people have have been fed so much erroneous information regarding Jesus that they have a hard time embracing the Easter story. So I've come to realize that before you can embrace the Easter story, you've gotta first understand and believe in the savior of Easter. You gotta understand what Jesus has to say about you, how he wants to have a relationship with you and enhance your life through that relationship. And the reason that this is important is because mankind is all over the map regarding Jesus. Every human being lands somewhere on this great cosmic belief meter out there. On one end, you have those who believe in Jesus, They're in a relationship with him, and it's within the context of that relationship that they live their lives. While on the opposite end, you have people who are hostile to the gospel message of Jesus and the Easter story. Some of them quietly carry that belief around with them, while others are much more vocal, working very hard trying to eradicate anything having to do with God from the public realm at all. But somewhere in the middle and where I find most people that I come into contact with is they don't really know where they stand. They're pretty much neutral on the subject. They just kind of keep their distance from the whole thing. But you know, I found that you can't stay neutral for very long because for over the past 2000 plus years, the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ has slowly but steadily driven head on into the mass of humanity. The gospel message naturally forces people to one side or the other, and it pleads for people to make a choice. And the reason you need to make a choice is because one of the clearest teachings found in the word of God is that there is a day of judgment, a day of reckoning that will come, and all of humanity will be divided into one of two camps. One camp will be those people who acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, who he was. They followed him, they loved him, they staked their lives and their eternity on him. And then the other camp is gonna be those who ignored or resisted, or yes, even resisted Jesus. But the point is that a choice will have to be made by every human being by that time. But perhaps more pertinent to our discussion this morning is the fact that every one of us will fall into one of those two camps that day. Your eternity and where you spend it will be determined by which camp you're in. And so my hope today is that everyone in this place will clarify their stance about the person and the claims of Jesus Christ. Now, as people have pondered this over the years, deciding whether they are before, whether they are for or against Jesus, you've got to understand something. It is not a question of whether or not Jesus existed, because his existence is a part 
of the historical record. It is a proven fact. Go to any encyclopedia, go to any online source, and you will see Jesus listed as a bona fide first century historical personality. In fact, you will notice that he is called the founder of the Christian faith. In fact, you can visit Israel. You can see where uh, in the Holy Land, you can see where he was born and raised. You can see the river that he was baptized in. You, you can go to the mountainside where he gave his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You can stand in the courtyard where he was put on trial or stand at the foot of the hill where he was crucified. It's all a matter of historical record. Even non-religious historians freely and frequently reference the life and the activities of Jesus. I mean, think about it. We even record our calendar of time based upon Jesus. BC stands for before Christ. AD is a Latin phrase for anno domino, which means in the year of our Lord. So for crying out loud, we, we mark our calendar by Jesus. So the existence of Christ cannot be denied, ladies and gentlemen. It is a truth. It is a fact. But that's not what makes people either choose for or against Jesus. I think reasonable people just accept that fact. I also believe that it is not Jesus' basic ideology that forces people to take sides either for or against him. I mean, most people, I think, deeply respect his teachings. People seem to like Jesus' emphasis on a need for love and honesty and integrity and his deep concern for the poor and the oppressed and the forgotten. Lots of people admired Jesus' courage as he stood up and confronted the, the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. And most people applaud his contribution to history, especially in the area of ethics and, and morality. So if it's not his existence that is the problem, and it's not his basic ideology, then what is it about Jesus that creates so much controversy? Well, the problem comes from this. It's Jesus' claim of being God's son, sent here by God. It is his claim that he is the savior of the world, the only one representing the hope of heaven. That is what sends people flying from one side to the other. It's all those famous I am statements that he made. In John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. And in John eleven twenty five, 25, he said, I am the resurrection and life. Right in the middle of some of his most brilliant discourses, which left everybody saying, this has to be the most brilliant human being who has ever lived, Jesus would make it very clear that he was the savior of the world and he was sent here by God Almighty. In John chapter 14, verse six, he made very clear that he was the only way to God when he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. And people went, oh, now why did you have to go and include that, Jesus? We were doing fine up to that point. Just stick to your basic teachings that, that we love so well. Just philosophize, but please lay off that whole deity thing. But Jesus didn't lay off of it. 
He continued saying in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he went on to say in John 14, 11, because I and the Father are one. With alarming regularity, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the only Savior for sin, and the only one worthy of all of humanity's worship. One time, Jesus asked his disciple Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter burst out in Matthew 16, 15, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and he, Jesus replied to Peter, he said, yeah, you finally got that one right, because Peter didn't always get it right. He said, you did good. That's exactly who I am. And when Jesus was put on trial, and he was on the witness stand, he was asked, are you or are you not? the Son of God. And the record tells us in Mark chapter 14, 62, that Jesus said, yes, it is as you say. And as soon as he said that, the high priest stands up and he, and he tears his robe in outrage to Jesus' claim. And he accuses him of blasphemy. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, all throughout history, whenever Jesus claimed to be God's Son, it always evoked dramatic responses. You see, it's hard staying neutral when someone is saying, unless you follow me, you'll never get to heaven. So ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I say to you this morning, you have to make a choice about this. And throughout history, people have been making that choice. Some people have been outraged like the high priest who tore his robe. They've kind of joined the anti-Jesus society saying, well, well, we'll tolerate his teachings and we'll, we'll tolerate the fact that he lived, but this, this deity stuff, it's got to go. While others have, in fact, investigated Jesus' claims and they've concluded that he is truly the Son of God. One such man, his name is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was the former legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. He was an atheist and he sought out to prove that Jesus was nothing more than a normal man. But during his research, he found fact after fact and all kinds of historical evidence to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. And through his indisputable findings, he decided to turn his life over to Jesus, the one who he once didn't even believe in, and countless others have made that same decision. They've accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation, they stake their lives and their eternity on him. So that leads me to ask you this morning, which camp are you in? Because you are in one camp or the other, and furthermore, are you sure you are in the right camp? Now, if you haven't made up your mind yet about this, you're a little bit murky on this subject, allow me to spend a few more minutes. I wanna reason with you. I wanna talk about the subject of the deity of Christ. What that means is Jesus being regarded as a God, as God's only son, being a divine being, supernatural being. Now, if his deity is true, don't you think there would be some corroborating evidence that he really was the son of God? I mean, if a person claims to be the son of God, shouldn't he be able to show off his stuff? Well, Jesus did. In fact, let me give you some evidence to back up his claim that he was the son of God. First of all, Jesus led a sinless life. It was a perfect life. Listen, if I ever stand up here, bump my head somewhere and say, uh, I, I, by the way, I'm the son of God, please talk to Lisa because she'll set you straight <laughs> right off the bat. 
It'll take her a while to describe, but she'll share all the many reasons why that could not be, and she'll shut that thing down quickly. One time, the religious leaders were questioning Jesus, trying to trip him up, and Jesus came right out and asked them in John 8:46, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He's saying this, understand, to his enemies. Can you point out any faults in my life? He offered them, as we would say, a free shot. The Bible says they couldn't come up with a single incident. Not a single time when he said something or did something that violated the laws of character or of ethics or of morality. They couldn't come up with anything. And can I just give you a side note here today? You just go and you check the historical records on the private lives of other religious leaders like Muhammad and Buddha and Gandhi and yes, Joseph Smith and the others. If you take a peek behind the curtain of their personal lives, some of who claimed, I might add, to be deity, you would be shocked. The things that went on in their personal lives would greatly disturb you. These people that have been set up as paragons of virtue. It was interesting in Bible college studying the historical records on many of the world religious leaders. I've done enough to be comfortable saying to people who follow these folks, you really wanna follow someone who lived a life like that? Behind the scenes? You gotta be kidding me. Immorality, deception, lack of integrity, you name it, it was there. And then here you have Jesus claiming to be the Son of God. And he gives a free shot to his enemies, and they can't point out a single fault. That's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? Let me give you some more evidence that backs up his claim that he was a son of God. Jesus performed miracles. Even secular historians of his day often referred to Jesus' wonder-working power. People were healed. The lame walked. The blind regained their sight. He raised Lazarus and others from the dead. He walked on the water. He cast out demonic spirits. He even, at his word, calmed the storming seas. You gotta understand those miracles were not done in some corner somewhere. People witnessed these things. In some cases, hundreds. In some cases, thousands of people saw and offered eyewitness confirmation to what he had done. Jesus had supernatural power at his command. And here's one more bit of substantiating evidence to back up his claim that he was God. Jesus arose from the grave. For 2,000 years, yeah, go ahead, you can clap on that. For over 2,000 years, cynics and scoffers have wondered what to do with the evidence for Christ's resurrection. They have to deal with this headache-producing headache uh, problem called the empty tomb. And there's no reasonable explanation for who would have wanted to steal or hide Jesus' dead body as so many people throughout history have suggested. Jesus' enemies would have done anything to be able to parade his dead body through the streets of Jerusalem in order to quell the resurrection rumors. Believe me, that is the last thing that they wanted to deal with, an empty tomb. And it has been suggested that maybe Jesus' followers wanted to start this, this resurrection rumor. So it was they who hid his body. 
Well, there are two really big problems with that concept, folks. First of all, the tomb was guarded by highly trained Roman soldiers. These were the Marines of their day. No ragtag group of Jesus followers could have overcome those armed and trained military men who were guarding that tomb. And furthermore, they could have in no way rolled away that stone that sealed it. The second problem is, even if the disciples, by some sleight of hand, were able to have gotten, gotten the body and taken off and hidden it somewhere, don't you realize that sooner or later, as his disciples were arrested and beaten, as they were put to death for proclaiming the miracle of the resurrection, that surely one of them would have broken down somewhere along the line and confessed, but not a single one did. And something that you need to know is each one of his disciples, except John, was killed. They were all martyred in the most horrific ways possible. They were tortured and murdered for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And through all that, not a one of them changed their story, not one. Because here's the, folk, here's the, here's the truth, folks. People don't die for lies. They will never die for a lie and his disciples would not have either. Now adding further doubts to this cynic's problem of the empty tomb is the fact that large numbers of people were eyewitness to the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. The testimony of hundreds of eyewitnesses is a terrible, terribly difficult thing to, to refute. And people were talking about it widely. Jesus appeared 12 different times after his resurrection to groups of people ranging from one to 500 people. People would say, I saw him in the upper room. I saw him near the Sea of Galilee. I saw him on the mountainside. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he had encounters with everyday people. It's a matter of record. And I could go on and on and give you more evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And it is all very compelling stuff. And because of it, many people have become followers of Jesus Christ just by their studying of the evidence of the resurrection. Well, Pastor David, I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I've always believed that. You're not telling me anything I, I don't already know. The problem is I just don't see the benefit of believing in him enough to make him Lord of my personal life. I'm doing quite well on my own, thank you very much. I do, I'm sure I do not need Jesus. I'm okay with, with being neutral on this subject. I mean, it's worked well for me so far. Why do I need Jesus? I hope rather than asking why do I need Jesus that you would come to the point of saying, I really want Jesus in my life. Because the only way that you will ever get to that point is to learn more about what Jesus has to say about you and for you to understand why he came in the first place, why he died, and why he arose three days later. Why did Jesus do all of this? So that you and I could live through his death and through his resurrection. Jesus bridged the gap between sinful mankind and a holy and a righteous God. He reconciled us to God the Father, and now we have the ability to go directly to him anytime we want for anything, and God listens to us. We can now be in a relationship 
with our heavenly father, our creator, and have our lives guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. And within that relationship, you will find wisdom and discernment and strength and power over sin and everything else you need to live victoriously in this age. Secondly, Jesus gave us all this to offer you eternal life in heaven. That is the greatest result of Christ's resurrection. You see, many people really believe that when your time is done on this earth, when you die, it's just game over. It's done. You're taking the eternal dirt nap. That's not true. That is not true at all. Your body is, but your spirit is not. Many people say that we are, we are human beings on a spiritual journey. And that's not true at all. We are spiritual beings. And we're simply on a human journey for this 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe if you're blessed 100 years, you walk this earth. You see, encased in this body of all of us is a spirit. And our spirit does not die. It lives forever. And earlier when I talked about being in one of two camps, it's all about where your spirit which will eventually be caught up with your earthly body. That's a whole nother story. Where will you spend eternity? God offers us the opportunity through Christ Jesus to spend eternity with him in a place of perfect peace, a place where there's no sickness, no disease, no heartache, no sin, no tears. Peace in the presence of almighty God, our creator. You see, we put so much focus on the here and now. We put so much effort and time and attention pursuing everyday life and the American dream. And that's understandable because this is the only dimension that we know. But you gotta understand that life on this earth is a blip on the radar screen of eternity. Human life can be gone in an instant, but your spirit never dies. And please don't ever forget that. And therefore, who you choose to believe in has paramount importance to your eternity and where it will be spent. Jesus' work on the cross gives you the opportunity to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will spend eternity in God's presence. And that alone should be motivation enough to want to fall into Jesus' camp, to know that, that you have eternal life and that you can spend your eternity in the presence of God. But you know, like those TV pitchmen always say, but wait, there's more. Jesus did all of this to show you Easter isn't just about God's victory over physical death. Easter is also about God's victory over spiritual death. You see, God raises up both dead bodies and dead spirits. God raises up spiritually dead people to life again all the time. I know this because I was one of them. And that is equally what Easter is all about. Inevitably, in a crowd this size, there are people here who are spiritually dead. Let me explain to you what I mean. It's not an insult, it's a reality. You are too busy and too successful for God. Or you're too busy running the treadmill of life for God. Your life is relatively unaffected by spiritual things. Two days ago was Good Friday, and you didn't even give a thought of Jesus, who we, 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 uh, uh, we remember on that day as being nailed to the cross and dying for us. 
Have a, having a personal relationship with Jesus, well, simply said, that's just beyond your world of, of comprehension. The concerns of hell don't frighten you, and the joys of heaven don't really excite you. Because you think what you've got going on on this earth is as good as it gets. Deep down inside, you, 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 you may not even care about Jesus. I get that, because you've become hardened to the truth. You've allowed our society and all the untruth out there and, and man's opinions to create this in you. Oh, sometimes you pray when you get in a pinch, like all of us do. You say, I don't know if there's a God, but if there is, amen, help me out on this one. You may even acknowledge that he's the man upstairs, but a daily authentic walk with God is not a part of your life. My friends, that is what I mean when you say you have become spiritually dead. Some of you were here and you were in a faith relationship with Jesus, but life has changed you. As your responsibilities have grown and your goals have started to be achieved or maybe fully achieved, you've forgotten about God. Well, you are in a spiritually dead place as well. But the beauty of the Easter message is that the awesome power of God who raised Jesus from the dead can miraculously take my and your dead life and make it alive again. God can take people who are spiritually dead and give them resurrection power, a vibrant power to live a life with a passion for God and a concern for his purposes. And it's time, it's time to wake up. It's time to be raised from your spiritual coma by the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. I said earlier that you are here because God wanted you to be here. And I say that because whether you've realized it or not, this world that we are living in, it's falling apart at the seams. Have you gotten that hint lately? Relationally, politically, economically, militarily, the place is falling apart. It's going down the tubes. In addition to that, I don't know of any other biblical prophecies that need to be fulfilled before Jesus comes home and return, or excuse me, comes and takes home those who follow him. The time is very short. This is an urgent message that I'm giving you today. So God wanted you to listen to this particular Easter message about how God raises up both dead bodies and dead spirits because it's time for you to awaken from your spiritual coma. Jesus said in John 10, 10, sorry, brother, didn't mean to cut you off. John 10, 10, I have come, I'm on a roll here. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to live an abundant life. Jesus was our example and the way he lived showed us what his abundance was all about. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he, he longs to see you live the kind of life that he led while he was on this earth. He wants to equip you and empower you to live life at the highest level possible. And if you're without Jesus and you believe that you are living life at the highest level possible, I'm sorry, my friends, you are not. You are just kidding yourself. There is so much more to be had. And because Jesus is risen, you too can live the abundant life. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he does so with a heart that is full of love. He does so with eyes that are full of mercy. 
Just like a loving father would look at one of his precious children. And when you enter into a relationship with him, he teaches you how to live like he did when he walked this earth. First of all, Jesus wants you to know how to get your relationships right. He says, I am for you. I want to give you the knowledge and the power to to have meaningful and strong relationships. I want for all of your relationships to be right. I want you to do your marriage right. I want you to raise your kids right. I want you to build your friendships right. I want you to have your professional relationships right. He says, if you will allow me, I will give you the knowledge and the power to do that right. Secondly, Jesus says, I want to show you how to live with character and integrity. Jesus says, with my knowledge and my power, I will help you to live a moral and ethical life. I can teach you how to to do your dealings in the marketplace with your finances, with your sexuality, and do it all with great character and integrity. He says, I'm for you, and I want you to live life at that kind of a level. Thirdly, Jesus wants to show you how to live life spiritually. He says, I want you to have a relationship with God the Father like I had when I walked this earth. I want you to live with total security in God's love. I want you to utterly rest in the promises and the goodness of God. I want you to walk closely and joyfully and wisely every step along the way. Now, this next one may sound odd to you, but it's true. We're all going to die one day. You're going to die, and I'm going to die. And I don't know how else to say it, but just like Jesus wants to show you how to live, here's the fourth thing. When you die, Jesus wants to show you how to die well. He says, with my knowledge and with my power, I want you to learn how to take your last breaths without fear. When you get to the end of your life and you're lying in that hospital bed, looking at the ceiling for the last time, you've got your family that's surrounding you. I want you to die with dignity. I want you to die with hope. I want you to be able to look at the family who is surrounding you and say, this is not the end. This is the beginning. This is my graduation day from here to an eternity that has been given to me through the merits of Jesus Christ. You see, the last I checked, the mortality rate in this country is still 100%. So the inevitable question is, how are you going to die? None of us knows how or when we're going to die, but we can die prepared. More importantly, we can know where we're going because of what Christ did for us. If you could just grasp this truth today, that Christ is for you. He's not against you. He is for you in every imaginable way in spite of what somebody has has filled your brain with. And if you could just understand that he demonstrated this when he paid the price for your and my sin on that cross, he willingly hung on that cross. He died an excruciatingly painful death so that you and I could be set free. He took our punishment. And not only did he deal with immense physical pain, but probably the worst part of the crucifixion was that he carried the sin of of the world on his shoulders. Think about that. When you think of every sin 
that has ever been committed or ever will be committed in the history of this world. Jesus carried it all. When you think of the atrocities that have been committed throughout history, when you think of all of the injustice, the cruelty, the outright inhumane events that have been perpetrated upon people throughout history, Jesus bore it all. And if you, for a minute, don't think this was personal, I'm sorry, you are wrong. Because as he hung on that cross, gasping for his last breath, I believe the face of every human being that ever walked the face of this earth or ever would walk the face of this earth crossed his mind like a video screen. I believe that with all my heart. This was no random act of love. This was personal. Get this through your head. And it was for you. He became the sacrifice for all of our sins. Yours and mine and his death atoned for our sin. He died to cover it all. He died to save you from sin so that you could be reconciled with your heavenly father. What a concept. But the key here is he didn't stay dead. He arose. And this is what we celebrate today. The difference between Jesus and Buddha or Muhammad or the other leaders of, of world religions is simple. They all have a grave and their bodies are still in the ground, but Jesus has risen. And it is, it now his resurrection power flows into the lives of those who choose to believe in him and to receive his gift of salvation. Jesus came and he did all of this and he said, I am for you. And today he's asking a simple question of all of us. Are you for me? And ladies and gentlemen, that is a question of ultimate significance to your life. It is the most important question you will ever answer. Just indulge me for one more moment. Imagine that Jesus came walking through these doors in the next couple of seconds. And imagine that he walked over to you. He's walking towards your seat. You can see the love in his eyes. His demeanor tells you everything that I've been emphasizing to you today. And he approaches your seat and you just know in your heart that he is for you. You can just tell. And as he approaches, he reaches out his nail-scarred hand to you. Now he's standing with his hand reached out toward you and he's saying, I'm for you. I really am. And I love you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with his outstretched hand? There's really only one of two options. First, you can reach out and you can take hold of his hand and you can say thanks. Thank you for being who you say you are. Thanks for being for me and not against me. Thanks for dying on the cross for me. And then you feel the nail print in his hand. You say, thanks for your love. Thanks for forgiving me. Thanks for inviting me into your family. Thanks for teaching me how to live. Thanks for teaching me how to die. Thanks for preparing a place for me in eternity. Here's my hand, Jesus. I am for you. I want to walk with you. I want to honor you. I want to, I want to, ret to return your love. I want to obey your leadership. I am for you. That is one way you can go. But there's another option. As Jesus is standing at your seat, reaching out his hand to you in love, 
You can keep your arms folded on your chest. And you can let all those voices in your head that are telling you, my friends will think I'm stupid if I do this. This really doesn't make any sense. I'm smarter than all of this. You can keep your arms folded. In essence, you can say, I'm not for you. Maybe you are who you said you are. Maybe there's evidence for that. Maybe you are for me, but I'm going to continue to do life on my own. I don't need you. I don't want you. With regard to my relationships, my relational world is just fine. Thank you very much. I don't need help from you. I don't need help in my marriage. I don't need help in raising my children. I don't need help in my friendships. In terms of character, you're saying, well, my character is great. I've never struggled with anything at all in my entire life regarding ethics or morality. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need your help. I don't need your love. I don't need your perspective. I don't need your power. In terms in terms of my spiritual life, I'm doing just fine without you. In terms of preparing for me dying, I'm not worried about it. It's just going to happen a long time from now, so I'm not at all worried about it. When it comes to eternity, well, I'm just going to roll the dice. That's the other option. You can leave your arms folded and ignore the only one who can bring you life. And what's so great is that Jesus will never wrench your arms off your chest. He will never grab a hold of your hand. He is a gentleman in every sense of the word. He respects you too much. He won't do that. He never forces himself on anybody. He is a God of invitation. And when you're ready, he'll be there. But you got to know something else about this moment. At that moment when the Son of God is reaching out his hand to you and he's saying, I am for you and offering you all of these things that, that we've been talking about, you either reach out and take his hand signifying that you are for him and you want to live your life for Christ or you stay in that undecided part of that great cosmic belief meter out there. Do you know which one, which posture, which response is yours? Because it will ultimately determine which camp you will be in on that day of reckoning. Now, I'm aware that some of you are thinking, man, this is pretty intense. You're kind of putting a damper on my holiday weekend here, preacher boy. I want you to understand, I did not... I, I don't love creating uncomfortable moments like this. But you also must understand I have a great sense of responsibility. I am the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and my job is to tell you the truth. And some of you even now are saying, that's a bunch of gibberish. I have spoken to you the truth, and I know that the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. You're unsettled. You're nervous. You really don't want to be here right now. This thing started great and it really went downhill fast, didn't it? <laughs> I have a response, a responsibility for making this message clear to you today, especially this Easter Sunday. I am much too passionate about what Jesus has done in my personal life, and I want so much for you to experience the Savior of Easter. 
by hopefully bringing you to a point of decision about this most important decision you will ever make in your life. It's either heaven in the presence of God or it's gonna be in hell in total darkness, in total separation from God. You can't, even, you can't even imagine, none of us, what that would be like. I love you too much and I don't even know you to let you off the hook. You gotta face this and you gotta face it soon and there's no better day to do it than today. You see, this man who stands before you today, who maybe on the outside appears to have things together, I ask my wife, that's questionable sometimes, but I was once a mess. I don't know how else to tell it to you. I was a complete and total mess. I was deeply lost. I was trapped in a sinful lifestyle that was, was slowly destroying me. But one day I reached out and I took hold of that nail-scarred hand and Jesus turned my life around and he gave me a purpose for living and, and he brought joy into my life and he provided me with strength that I needed in order to navigate in this world and all of its chaos. And through what Jesus has done for me, I'm gonna get to go to heaven. And it's not because I deserve it. And it's not because I could possibly earn it. it I can only go there because of what Jesus accomplished on my behalf. You see, my greatest concern for so many people that I need is they allow their pride to get in the way of living for Jesus. They always wonder, what will people think? I get that, I, I truly do. I, I know you've seen some crazy people out there calling themselves Christians, doing some pretty crazy and weird things, and it's been a turnoff for you. Trust me, it's been a turnoff for me too, I get that. And as you've been contemplating Jesus this morning, you've been wondering, if I become a Christian, do I have to act like that? The answer is no, you don't have to act like that. Listen, there's weird Christians out there just like there are weird atheists and agnostics. Hey, don't laugh, he might be one of them. I don't know, maybe he'll view you that way. You don't need to be weird to be a follower of Christ. The Bible says all you have to do is acknowledge him as Lord, that he came, that he died, came to die for your sins. That is the only way to God the Father. And you confess your sin with your mouth. You repent of your sin. You confess those words and repent of your sin. You tell him, Jesus, I want to have a, a relationship with you. I want all that stuff that preacher boy up there is telling me about. I want you to have lordship over my life to daily direct my steps. The Bible says... Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. I'd like the band to come forward, if you would, the worship team. Help me to get ready to close this service down. Well, pastor, does accepting Jesus mean that my life's going to be perfect? Absolutely not. I'm never going to get up here and tell you that life is perfection once you, you find Jesus. We all know that life is tough. We all know that there are challenges that come at us day after day, trials, all kinds of bad things happen in this world. But I have learned in my relationship with Jesus that he makes all of those things easier to handle. And you know why? Because he gives me a correct perspective regarding each and every one of them. He also gives me grace and strength to deal with them effectively. Most importantly, he gives me what the word of God calls a peace it passes all understanding. I may not understand everything that's going on, and believe me when I tell you, I don't. 
But through it all, God's peace rests upon me. And that peace comes from knowing where I'm going when my time on this earth is done. And if that sounds like a relationship that you would like to enter into today, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that this morning. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front, don't worry about that, but I do wanna give you an opportunity to make things right between you and God. Today, we are going to participate in Holy Communion together. Jesus asked us, his followers, to remember the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross of Calvary. And we do this regularly at this church. But there really isn't a more appropriate time, I believe, to remember that than this day, this, this day that we celebrate Christ's resurrection. But before we do, it's important to let you know that the Bible warns us about not taking communion in an unworthy manner. In 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, it says this, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood, body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That scripture tells us, unless you are willing to examine yourself before God at this, this time, unless you are willing to clear things up that might cause your participation in communion to be done in an unworthy manner, that you should not participate in communion. So before any of us take communion together, we must examine ourselves before God and in light of this, this sacred moment, take the, to take the time to make sure we're not carrying any unconfessed sin in our heart. If so, we need to confess that. Or to make sure we are not harboring unforgiveness towards another. If either of those things are the case, we ask, we confess our sins to God and we leave here with the intention of reconciling with our brother or sister who we are harboring unforgiveness against or if there's anything else that is going on in your life that would prevent you from doing this in a proper way, you can take care of that when you pray to God. If you're here today and you have never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, and if this message that I've given today has convinced you that you need him, here's the point where you can receive salvation. We're gonna have a moment of quiet prayer here in just a moment, and all you're gonna hear is the keyboard playing softly behind me. In your own way and in your own words, I want you to, to just talk to God. Simply tell Jesus that you believe in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask the Christ of Easter to come into your heart. Let him know that it is your desire to have a life lived that is pleasing to him, that you want that missing piece of the puzzle that you need, that we all desperately need in order to live a life of abundance. When you do that, the Bible says that he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then you too can participate with the rest of us taking communion and understanding what Christ's sacrifice was all about because you have just become a recipient of his great and amazing grace. Let's all bow our heads for a time of, of silent prayer.
and meditation. Heavenly Father, you've, you've heard our words. Most importantly, you've read our hearts. I want to thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the gift that he offers called salvation. And I want to thank you for those who received that gift today. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us as we remember what you have done for us. And I ask that you would bless these communion emblems we are about to receive. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. In Luke chapter 22, it talks about Jesus' last supper with his disciples. It was the last Passover meal that they would take with one another. Verse 14, it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Of course, he's referring to the fact that he's going to the cross right after this. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you eat this bread this morning, I want you to be reminded of the bruised and the battered body of Jesus Christ, beaten beyond all human recognition and remember that by his stripes, you are healed. You made the bread. Verse 20, it says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And as you drink this juice this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of the sinless son of God that was poured out to, to atone, to wash away your and my sin. You may drink the juice. Would you please stand to your feet as we sing? And it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the
to thank all of you for being here today. If you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior today, I want to welcome you to the family of God. You've just made the best decision of your life. And we as a church, we'd like to come alongside of you in your Christian journey. We hope that you will become a regular part of our church family. You need encouragement. You need instruction as you grow in your faith, and, and you can receive both of those here. We offer classes for new believers called First Steps. They meet on Sunday morning. You can join at any time. It's a rotating class of 13 weeks. You can go in at any time. When 13 weeks, you're done. We give you a study Bible uh, when you're completed, and it'll help your foundation in faith, but then we have classes that follow that. You can be tied up in classes for over six years if you want on Sunday mornings, just learning more about Jesus and about how he affects your life and what he means to you and why he loves you and why you have a relationship with him. So we'd like you to take advantage of that. Also, if you made a decision today to serve the Lord, or if you're here today and You've never been baptized in water. You never followed Jesus' instructions or his example that he set. Next Sunday morning, during the worship service, we're gonna be baptizing in water. We do it right up there. You just need to bring a change of clothes. We'd love for you to call the church office. Give us your name so we know you're gonna be here so that we can baptize you. Um, and uh, I'm gonna close here in prayer in just a minute, but I, I wanna ask the people down this row right here, if, when, if, when I say amen, would you give my wife and I a chance to get by we always greet out in the foyer. If you're new here today, a visitor, if you've received Christ today or whether you haven't, we'd love to meet you. Come by and just shake our hands so we can see who you are. Uh, we'd love to know who you are and thank you for, for joining us today. So let's bow our heads and we will close in prayer. And I, my prayer is that you will have an incredible resurrection Sunday, that you will enjoy being with your family, but that you will remember what Christ has done for you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for this occasion above all occasions, the day that, that Christ resurrected, ushering in eternal life for us. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We ask, Father, that uh, as we leave here today, we would leave remembering just what a sacrifice was made for us. Father, as we leave here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, directing our paths, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, those conversations would be conversations that would build people up and not tear them down. And that we would shine with bright lights in a very dark world. We would shine so brightly that people would come up to us and say, what is it that's different about you? And then you open the door for us to tell us, tell them about the goodness of God and what you've done in our lives. Father, I just ask that, as I always do, this week, give each one of us a divine encounter with someone Someone who will come up to us, we'll have a conversation with, and we can either lead to Christ or invite them to church so that they can find the best thing that they will ever encounter in their life, and that is a relationship with you. I also ask God that you keep us safe from sickness and disease, from any accidents that might befall us that would prevent us from gathering together again and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. So as we go our separate ways, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to go in love, to show your love to those around us, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you.